Thank you, Pastor Gage. I, I love that prayer. Our, our eyes are on you, Lord. I hope our, our eyes are on the Lord this morning. As we get into the time in which we dive into the Word, I want us to consider and ask, and I'm sure you do have, do you, do you have questions for Jesus? That if he were taking a question and answer session today, what, what questions would you have for him and I've shared some of this before, but I have more questions <laughs> as well, almost a list. Some are serious questions. Some are, are more silly, I suppose. I, I, I want to know if broccoli and spinach and kale and all those are so good for us, then why? Why do they taste that way? Why, why can't they taste like bacon and watermelon and cupcakes, you know? Why don't vegetables just taste like that? I, I would, oh, I would be so healthy. <laughs> I would be so healthy if vegetables just somehow did not taste like damp gym socks, you know. Why, oh Lord, in all of your wisdom, does bacon taste like heaven and Brussels sprouts you taste like, I don't know, crunchy armpit nuggets? I'm just <laughs> gross, right? And along those lines, why do I sometimes forget how to chew does this happen to you where you bite your tongue or the inside of your cheek? What is going on there? Why is that a thing that happens? And I, I can tell you, I am, and CJ will tell you this, I am a mostly calm person. But when I bite my tongue, the, the pain and the rage within me that wells up is, it's, and I have no target for that. There, there's no healthy place to go with that rage. I just, I'm mad at my own individual body parts. I didn't mean to do that, but it's, and why is that a thing? Why does that happen? Those some silly questions. There are some more serious questions. What will heaven be like? Is there a heaven or is there a hell? What's that like? And maybe we don't like to think about that. Or what about babies or jungle people? What happens to them? How will I die? How are my kids going to turn out? Are, are, are we as a society going to survive, you know, fill in the blank, the politics of the day, the economics of the day, uh, pollution, war, diseases, economic crisis, cancers? Is, is there a future for the next generation? There are some big questions we have in our world today. One day, a long time ago, Jesus showed up at the temple, the center of religious thought and teachings and practices for God's people, and people began to ask questions of Jesus. Many questions, a variety of questions, many different types of questions, and Jesus handles it in the, only, in the way only Jesus could handle it. And there's a lengthy passage that we're going to read this morning but it's a bunch of questions, and I'd like to tackle each one. And so let's, let's turn with me, if you would, in, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 13. They sent some of the Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're genuine, and you don't worry about what people think. You don't show favoritism, but teach God's way as it really is. 
Does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes or not? Since Jesus recognized their deceit, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a coin. Show it to me. And they brought one. He said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's, they replied. Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply left them overcome with wonder. Sadducees, who deny that there's a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children, the brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman. When he died, he left no children. The second married her and died without leaving any children. The third did the same. None of the seven left any children. Finally, the woman died. At the resurrection, when they all rise up, whose wife will she be? All seven were married to her. Jesus said to them, isn't this the reason you are wrong? Because you don't know either the scriptures or God's power. When people rise from the dead, they won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they will be like God's angels. As for the resurrection from the dead, haven't you read in the scroll from Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the, uh, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. You are seriously mistaken. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them when he came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel, listen. Our God is the one God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, Well said, teacher, you have truthfully said that God is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love God with all of the heart, a full understanding, and all of one's strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, he said to him, You aren't far from God's kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, Why do the legal experts say that the Christ is David's son? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right side until I turn your enemies into your footstool. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be David's son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he was teaching, he said, Watch out for the legal experts. They like to walk around in long robes. They want to be greeted with honor in the markets. They long for places of honor in the synagogues and at banquets. They are the ones who cheat widows out of their homes. And to show off, they say long prayers. They will be judged most harshly. The word of the Lord. I know it's long. I, I know, and thank you for staying with me there. But did you catch all those questions? We could do a whole series on this. We could spend a whole year on just this passage probably. But these questions here are important. There are two groups here at the beginning. They sent some of the Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap him in his words. We don't understand the context of how radical that sentence is. The Pharisees and the supporters of Herod. You could not find two more opposite ideologies and groups of people in the day. The Pharisees, these devout followers of God who knew the law backwards and forwards and were so devoted even though they got it wrong sometimes but they were devoted and the supporters of Herod the blasphemous king and yet if we're going to put a positive spin on it Jesus can unite anyone (laughs) 
Any groups, any extremes, Jesus can unite them. Even the most divided people, Jesus can unite. The negative side is that they're all united to kill him. (laughs) They're all united to trap him. And bring Jesus down. So maybe not exactly a good thing. But I've got, we've got four questions here. I want to tackle them each. And so you're going to have to listen fast. Be ready, okay? The, the four types of questions. The first one I, I would call a trap question. And Mark identifies it as such. It's verses 13 through 17. It's not just a question. It is a trap question. It's like if someone were to come up to you on the street with a TV camera in your face, throw a microphone in there, and ask you the question, excuse me, sir, have you stopped abusing your dog? How do you answer that? If you say, what? No. Oh, you still are? Or if you say yes, the implication is that you once were. Have you stopped abusing your dog? How do you answer that? It's a trap question. Some of, uh, some of the questions get, get thrown around in philosophical circles these days. Can God create a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? <laughs> or could God forgive Satan? How many angels can fit on the head of a, of a needle? Could God make one more fit? And could he make then one more fit? And one... Don't... Don't try to trap God. It's kind of a waste of time. And Jesus in Mark 12, 15, he sees what's going on right away. He recognizes their deceit. And he comes up with this clever little response that it does two things. One, it says it left them overcome with wonder. And two, it did not answer the question. (laughs) And then, wow, what an amazing, wow, Jesus is. And I I can picture some guy in the back, uh, he didn't answer the question. God's not really interested. Jesus is not really interested in in trap questions. Part of the the problem, I think, is the motivation behind the question. There's another type of question. I would call it the unstable question. And I call it unstable because I think it's a question built on faulty assumptions or incorrect assumptions. It does not have a proper foundation in truth, so I'd call it unstable. It's just wrong to begin with. And with the Sadducees, they have the wrong assumption that there is no resurrection, that this life is all there is. And Jesus twice tells the Sadducees, you've got it wrong here, verse 24 and 27, twice, you've got it wrong. And their question, will this woman who married seven brothers have a husband in heaven? What an incredible, just hypothetical question here, the, the, the steps that it would take. My question is, what is in this woman's casserole? I mean, what, 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 what is going on here with this woman? All these men she's marrying, all these brothers are dying off. What, what's going on here? She does not have a good relationship with her in-laws, I can guarantee you that. Mother-in-law's got to be like, stop marrying my boys. What are you doing? But a question made with a wrong assumption for Jesus, it's not ignored, but it is corrected. He corrects them. And this is where I think it's, it's not a trap question, but a question that we may have for Jesus that has wrong assumptions. We need to be ready for Jesus to correct us with his word, with his spirit, with his people. To come and say, wait a minute, I, I think that question has some wrong assumptions. 
you know, some people try to do, do this and ask these types of questions of God. They go to the Lord with a type of prayer that says, give me this or I won't believe in you. You ever prayed that prayer? If you want me to believe in you, God, then do this thing for me. There's an incorrect assumption there in those prayers. Those types of prayers try to establish the prayer, the, the one who is praying. They're trying to be established as the one who is in charge. As in, I'm the master. And God is my slave or butler or genie granting wishes. It's a wrong assumption. So when you try to make deals with God, he will either say, okay, you want to go down this road? Watch out. Be careful what you wish for. Don't promise. God, you know, just give me this and I will become a missionary to Africa. Be careful. (laughs) He might just call you. He might just take you up on that. Or, God, please just let my team win today. (laughs) Please just, just that... That one, that TV, that, that team on TV, I, I cheer for them on Saturdays or Sunday afternoons. Just let them win. And if you let them win, I will do this, this, and this for you. And God says, one, I, I, I'm not your, your personal wish master here. And maybe even two, you know, I, I got more important things to do. And, and, and I know you're praying for this team, but you know the other side's praying too. <laughs> God is not here to simply receive our wish list and then snap his fingers and the wishes come true. It's an incorrect assumption. And and I want to be clear. We can take our concerns, our desires, our wants, especially our needs, we can go to the Lord with all of those things. What we care for, give over to the Lord. He he asks us to do that. But do you know what also is in the prayer that he gives to us, that he asks us to pray? Not my will, but your will be done. So humbly, reverently, respectfully, and ultimately, we, we come to the Lord in prayer with our burdens. But we pray, not my will, but your will be done. And I'll tell you, this is not the only wrong assumption we make about resurrection. I, I have to talk about this because I think it's so important. There is so many misunderstandings about the afterlife and heaven and resurrection. And the Sadducees, who were devoted to God, got this one wrong. It's not the only wrong assumption we make about resurrection. Part of the reason is because we have Plato and we have cartoons that help shape us. And I'm not talking about Plato, the stuff that comes in the can. I'm talking about Plato, the philosopher. But cartoons tell us that heaven is us sitting on a cloud with a halo and some wings and maybe a harp, right? And just kind of hanging out. And I'll tell you, if that is heaven, I'm going to get bored pretty quickly and Maybe I should bring a magazine with me or something. I just, it, that does not, there's not a lot of appeal for me there. And Plato, he, he, he taught this, and some other philosophers picked up on it too, and, and, and the idea was the spirit is good, but the body is bad, or the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. And so we get this idea that one day we're going to die, and our body is going to be left behind, but our soul will float up to heaven for the rest of eternity. We're just kind of floating spirits. And there's some Gnosticism there is what it might be called, but there's some, some thought that all that is physical is bad and only the spirit will live on. The problem with that is that's not what the Bible teaches us. Plato taught something like that. The Bible doesn't. In fact, do you know what happens to Jesus as he is crucified, goes into the grave, and then is resurrected? 
When he is resurrected, it is his spirit and body that is resurrected. The grave is empty. The body does not remain. It's part of the resurrected new creation as well. And in fact, Jesus walking around, he shows some scars. You mean our bodies might not be completely perfect and we we might still have some scars? Jesus does. And Jesus ate food, real food. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39 through 43, he ate food to prove he was not just a ghost or a spirit floating around. There's There's some things we have to correct, some poor assumptions that we have that maybe we need to explore Scripture a little better. What more do we know about heaven? I'll tell you, I have some questions. We don't have enough because the Bible was not written to tell you and me how to get to heaven. I know, it's kind of controversial. The Bible was not written to tell you and me how to get to heaven. It does that, but the Bible is more concerned with what Jesus is concerned with, and that is to save you and me from sin and death so that we can be part of God's redeeming work to save the world that we can be the light of the world. N.T. Wright, he's got much more to say about this. He's got a book I'd recommend. It's called Surprised by Hope. This is what N.T. Wright says here. God has promised to put the whole world right. In the present time, he puts people right, you and me, by the gospel and by the spirit, so that they can be part of his putting right purpose for the world, both as models, this is what it's going to be like, and as agents, you've got a job to do. That's what the Bible tells us. And so heaven is waiting, eternal reward and all the glory of God, and heaven is up there, and I cannot tell you exactly what it will look like or feel like or be like. And CJ and I, is, we've, we've talked about this passage of Scripture, this question many times because, you know, when I was 25 years old, my wife died of cancer. And that is a part of my past, and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's part of my story and my journey. But the Lord has blessed me beyond belief in my life. And I now have this wonderful blessing of a family. And what's that going to be like in heaven? And that's odd and weird. And we don't have the exact answers for that. But concerning heaven specifically, here's what I do know. Most importantly, we have the promises of God that there will be no tears, no pain, no suffering, and all things will be made right in God's new creation. And even though I don't know all the details of everything else, I will tell you, sign me up for that. No more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt. And if heaven were described to us in more detail, I'm not sure our human minds could understand it to begin with anyway. Go to a fish and try to explain the view of the Grand Canyon. Go to an infant that only knows milk and try to describe to them a steak dinner. Go back in time to someone who's only seen TV in black and white and try to describe to them, I don't know, Jurassic World on an IMAX movie in 3D. Heaven would blow our minds. (laughs) And one day it will. So don't get hung up on wrong assumptions. Third type of question, and okay, we need to hurry. Um, The genuine question. 
I like these questions. Here we go. This is good. One of the legal experts in verse 28 heard the dispute, saw how well Jesus answered them, so then he came over. One, okay, something good is happening here, something that I would like to know more about, and then he seeks out Jesus. We need more seekers in our world today, seeking Jesus. And I would call this type of question a genuine question. He comes, which commandment is most important? This is verse 28 through 34. And the question came from a person who is seeking answers from Jesus. A genuine question receives a genuine answer from Jesus. And Jesus, I love, he not only answers the question, he gives more than was asked. He doesn't just go, here's the number one. He goes, let me give you the top two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've recently seen a meme online, a graphic on, on social media, and I, I didn't go find it to, to put it up. You, you may have seen it before. It's going around, and it says this. You can't treat people like garbage and worship God at the same time. Have you seen that floating around? You can't treat people like garbage and worship God at the same time. We see it happen all the time, <laughs> or, or the attempt to, at least. And it is true. Unfortunately, in the, in the world of social media, it's sometimes used as almost a passive-aggressive way to remind that someone that they still owe you an apology. And it doesn't matter how many times you listen to that Christian radio station, you still owe me an apology. And it's clever, but I tell, I'll tell you this, there is biblical evidence to back this up. The words of Jesus, in fact, in Matthew chapter 5. It's verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, an act of worship, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus pairs these two commandments. If you want to love God, you better love others. Even the grumpy ones... Even the grumpy ones. But, but, Pastor, you have no idea how much they hurt me. You have no idea the pain. You have no idea how ugly they've been. Oh, you're right. I, I, I don't. But I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And does Jesus know? Does he know how much they hurt you? Yeah, yeah, he does. And he said it anyway. Why? Because grumpy people deserve to be loved anyway? Well, well maybe, maybe not. But we don't love others because they deserve to be loved. We love others because we were created by God to love others. <laughs> We've been loved unconditionally by God. We have received God's love. And as we receive his love, we therefore have everything we need to share love with others. We, you, have everything you need to fulfill the top two commandments that Jesus described. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's a story I've shared before. It's been a, a few years now, but it's been rolling around in my head this week again. And so I'm, I'm going to share it again. It's a story by a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. And he talks about a little town of ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks would waddle, waddle, waddle out of their duck houses. And waddle, waddle, waddle down the duck street and waddle, waddle, waddle into duck church. 
And they waddle, waddle, waddle into the duck sanctuary and waddle, waddle, waddle into the duck pews. And the duck preacher would waddle, waddle, waddle forward and open the duck Bible and preach the duck sermon. And the duck sermon went something like this. Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings, we can fly. With wings, we can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings, and you can fly like birds. There are ducks and geese in Island Park who need this message, right? You have wings. Use them. And all the ducks shouted, amen, quack, quack. Amen, quack, quack. And they all waddled, waddled, waddled out of the sanctuary, waddled, waddled, waddled down the street, and waddled, waddled, waddled all the way home. And we hear that story and we think, those ducks, they don't get it. They were made to fly. They have everything they need to fly. But all they do is waddle, waddle, waddle. Church family, we were made to love. We were made to love God. We were made to love each other. And if we were made that way, why do we waddle? We were made to love each other, but instead uh, we tolerate each other. We were made to love our neighbors, but instead we compare ourselves to our neighbors to see who measures up and who doesn't. We were made to love our community, but instead we just pass judgment. We were made to love, but when the church is at its worst, instead of loving, we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. Waiting for what? I don't know. Maybe just to die. Because we can't be bothered to care about others around us. I know that the heavenly glory one day, I've got that coming to me, so I'm good. I don't care about anyone else. What a waste. What a, what a waddle. It's a waste of the gift of life, the waste of the gift of love. We need to stop waddling and start doing what we were made by God to do. To love God to love others. Last one. It's, it's very interesting that, that Mark tells us in verse 34, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. Okay, we get it. <laughs> no one has the guts to, to ask Jesus any more questions. And so he asks one himself. And I would, I would classify this as a revealing question. Is the Christ, David's son, verse 35 through 37. And once again, the legal experts have it wrong. Jesus reveals their problem with their logic. And I love this in verse 37. The large crowd listened to him with delight. It's just so good to listen to Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. With delight, we receive the word of the Lord. But in the end, uh, it takes an ugly turn as we come to the end of the passage we read. Jesus reveals even more. The legal experts, the religious leaders of the day, they want attention. They want honor. But they're not living up to their calling, to what God has given them. They're not living lives pleasing to the Lord. They're cheating widows, showing off. And Jesus concludes this part by saying they will be judged most 
harshly. Fascinating that this passage would tell us judgment is not coming for the ignorant person who has never heard of Jesus. No, judgment is coming for the one who knows the good they ought to do, but chooses not to do it, and instead chooses evil. It is the legal experts, the religious leaders, who are in danger of judgment. James puts it this way, James 4, 17. It is a sin when someone knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. We might conclude then it's a sin to waddle when we've been created to fly. Another way I've heard this said, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. So don't just know what is right, do what is right. And we have just enough time, I want to share one more story for you to kind of cast some vision for us. Back uh, about 11 years ago now, CJ and I were just dating. And I'm just, I was just a guy from the East Coast. I had never seen the Rocky Mountains. And I moved out to Kansas and still had never seen the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> in fact, there are more mountains back east than there are in Kansas. But I wanted to see the Rocky Mountains. And so CJ said, let's go. And we get up and we start the journey. And I was so ignorant, <laughs> blissfully unaware. And we get, she'll tell you this, we get about, I don't know, about maybe 25, 30 miles south of Salina. And I'm so excited. And I look out the window to the west, and I say, CJ, I think I see the outline. I think I can just make them off in the distance. It was not the Rocky Mountains <laughs> that I saw 25 miles south of Salina. We had not even gotten onto I-70 yet. <laughs> in fact, in it, I, I was brought back to, CJ just laughed. But I was brought back to reality very quickly as we turned onto I-70 from Salina and you make that loop and then you start to head west and the GPS said, go straight and turn in 402 miles. <laughs> and we did. You just go straight. <laughs> and you know, if you've made that journey, you have to get to a, at, at least to Lyman, which is maybe 90 miles from, from Denver. On a clear day, sometimes you can see Pikes Peak from Lyman, Colorado, which is two hours into, into Colorado. You cross the border into Colorado, boy, that sure looks like Kansas. You, you know, it's still, it is still just flat. And I'm just bouncing in the car. I can't wait to see the mountains. And some may say, how naive, how ignorant. But even though we were way too far, to see the beauty of those mountains, I was seeking. I was expectant. I knew just over the horizon, it's coming. The promise of the mountains is coming. Church family, let us be a people that not only knows the goodness, the promises of God just beyond the horizon, but may we never stop seeking it anticipating it, expecting it, searching for it, and, and most importantly, moving towards it. Let's go. The goodness of God, the promises of God, the redemption, my Redeemer lives. 
Do you know who said those words? Do you know the scripture we get from my Redeemer lives? It is Job. It is Job, and go, go read Job, but get a, get a packet of tissues ready, okay? Because he loses almost everything. And in his grief, and in his loss, and in his experience of the worst that the world had to offer him, the last words he said was, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I stand here today, you can go and, and the, the book ends well. That so many of the blessings of God are restored to Job in the end. I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him. I and not another <laughs> with my own two eyes. The beauty, the goodness, the love of God is just on the horizon. Let us always be people who are expecting, who are seeking, and who are moving toward the love of God. Bow your heads with me. Lord, would you take control of our perspective today? We have questions. We have so many different ways in which we see the world and we think, why? Why not? What is going on here? And in your grace and in your mercy, sometimes you reveal, sometimes it's not the right timing. Perhaps sometimes we're better off not knowing. But in, in the end, Lord, we know what is just on the horizon. We hold on to your promises. And your promise for us is for redemption, restoration, we know there is healing, goodness, and love that awaits us, Lord. And so for each person here and each household represented, whether here in person, watching online, Lord, I pray that you would reach out in your special way, in your own timing, Lord, and grant to us the blessed assurance of your redemptive work in this world. And I pray that we would not be people who try to limit you, trap you, who make wrong assumptions, but may we genuinely seek you, earnestly. And I pray that you would honor our efforts to grow closer to you and to continue move, moving in the direction of your kingdom and your new creation, your redemptive work in this world. Bring it, Lord, bring it. Give us the grace and patience to see it through. If we need to have some hard conversations this week, Lord, would you strengthen us for that? Give us what we need for that. Give us the opportunity for those. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.